God bless you. Good to see you. Happy New Year to all of you. Hope it's not too late to say that. And the title of this message, Be Bold, Part 1. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. Can we say that together? One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you believe it? Yes. Yeah. I've been having the best week this week. Uh, let me back up and tell you about my last three weeks. Preached New, uh, Christmas Eve and preached the whole Christmas season. Very important season for preachers to be present. Christmas season is about Christ. The word Christ is in the name. Amen, right? So very important that preachers are there. But then we had this Omicron surge and everybody's getting sick. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I got to preach. Well, praise God, made it all the way through the Christmas preaching season, didn't get Omicron, didn't get COVID. And I was thinking to myself, I must have super immunity. Hallelujah. I got, an, I got a special anointing, an antiviral medication from the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus. Well, I uh, was here with you in our North Attleboro location Christmas Eve, uh, went to bed, and then I got up in the morning, traveled back down to Florida, be with my family. We had vacation coming up in six days, and uh, that Monday morning, I woke up and it just hit me. Just bam, came on me, fever, chills, cold. I was like, oh no, here it is, here it is. And I did a little test, and yep, I got the Rona, got the Rona. <laughs> so I'm like, oh Lord, I got a vacation. Pay vacation was paid for and six days away. And I'm like, Lord, please do something. And then the CDC changed their guidelines from 10 days to five days. Praise Jesus. You know what happened? The Lord made a phone call. Hallelujah. I'm telling you something. The Lord is my shepherd. So to everybody who's glad they don't have to isolate for 10 days and only five days, I just want to say, you're welcome. <laughs> Psalm 23 is one of the greatest psalms in the Bible. Probably the most famous, most known. You can quote probably the first line. Can we all quote the first line? The Lord is my shepherd. What's next? Yeah, and I have a special um, assignment as well for you. Don't just get that book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. By the way, it is about a shepherd who literally wrote about this psalm, and he has all kinds of insights because he was a shepherd, um, a physical shepherd. But anyway, I want you to memorize the psalm. And next, or two weeks from now, I think, two weeks from now, we're gonna have our fasting and prayer campaign at all of our locations, and we fast from Sunday after lunch all the way through to first Tuesday lunch. And so we want you to spend time in the Word, spend time in this psalm, because this, this whole series, Be Bold, is based on Psalm 23. I want you to start memorizing that psalm. This one has been a blessing to me. Like I said, I've had the best week of, in a long time, I don't want to say my life, but in a long time of prepping for the weekend, because this psalm has just given me life. It's just given me such peace in my heart. Sad to say, we only usually hear this psalm at funerals. Can I tell you that it's too late then? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? This psalm mentions death once, and it only mentions not death, but the shadow of death, and not the shadow of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. And so it's not about death, it's about the fact that God will bring you through the valleys that feel like death. Last two years, somebody? Yeah? God will bring you through his rod, his staff, they're with you. They comfort you, right? This is not about death. Psalm 23 is not about death. Psalm 23 is about abundant life. It's about having the life God wants you to have because you know he's watching over you. And I've been saying this to myself all week. Something comes into my little stress container in my heart, and I've just been saying to it, the Lord is my shepherd. And you gotta start saying that to yourself. 
You're going to get that report from the doctor, and you're going to either freak out about that, or you're going to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And married couple, I want you to make a promise to each other right now at all of our locations. You don't have to say it to them right now, but I want you to make a promise. I want you to tell them. I want you to say this. Whenever the other partner in your marriage is getting freaked out about something, I want you to be the one to say, the Lord is our shepherd. And then when you're freaking out, I want them to say to you, the Lord is our shepherd. Because I know how it works in marriage. One, one starts to get stressed and bounces that stress off the other, and then stress goes up, stress goes up, before you know it. No, 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 the Lord is our shepherd. When your kid comes home crying, the Lord is our shepherd. When you're stressed about what happens to your father, your mother, the Lord is our shepherd. He's not gonna let us go. He's not gonna let us die. He's not gonna uh, make things work against us. My Bible tells me he's gonna make things work for our good. Can I get a good amen at all locations right there? So here's the series theme, and I want you to write this down. What does, a, what does Psalm 23 have to do with boldness? Everything, because here's the deal. The theme is, my confidence does not come from believing in myself, but by believing myself to be his. The world tells you to believe in yourself. I mean, this is Oprah, this is Dr. Phil, this is Steph Curry, you know, believe in yourself. You can do it. You're awesome. You got what it takes. Just trust your feelings, go with your gut, follow your instincts. Let me just tell you, all those mantras are garbage. Because the scriptures talk about the sin nature. The scriptures talk about, Paul says, there's nothing good in me. I know that there's only sin living in me. I need God, the Holy Spirit, to come inside of me. I need him to take up residence in me. Apart from Jesus, Jesus said, I can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. But in Christ Jesus, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I'm weak, but in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. The Christian does not depend on himself. The Christian depends on himself being in the hands of Almighty God. And this is our theme. This is what I want you to get over the course of Psalm 23. Stand with me at all of our locations as we go to the reading of God's word from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, speak to your people. Guard my words. Keep me from saying anything you don't want said, and help me to say everything you do want said. And Lord, we ask that our ears are open and our hearts are receptive to receive the word of our true good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Help us to hear him. Help us to see him. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Amen, amen. Yeah, let's, let's get this psalm in our hearts. Let's memorize this psalm. This psalm was written by a guy named David. We all know David's story, and this is a, everything about David's story, I thought about this, has everything to do with this psalm bringing us confidence. Everything about David's story has everything to do with this psalm bringing us boldness and confidence. And we've got to get our confidence back. Two years is enough. And I've been sick of this news cycle. I am tired of the word 
experts. <laughs> I think we should just call that a four-letter word from now on, experts. Like from now on, whenever I stub my toe, I'm gonna be like, what the expert? <laughs> you talk about something I don't care about, I don't give an expert. <laughs> Man, the Patriots played by like experts last night. Anyway, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good news, Apollo Beach, we still have the Bucks. Yay, Bucks. Uh, anyway, so where was I? Oh, uh, the news cycle, the the. The de-escalation of people's confidence has been on my heart lately. I, I want the church to get her faith back, her confidence, her boldness. This movement was rooted in boldness. Paul, Peter was afraid of a little 12-year-old girl as Jesus was getting crucified uh, on the night of his crucifixion. And a little 12-year-old girl comes and asks him, aren't you one of his fathers? Oh, no, I'm not. And he starts cursing. He starts, oh, I'm not one of those experts. And then he freaks out, he can't, he can't confess Christ in front of a little 12-year-old girl. Gets the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, and he stands up and he says to the same people who put Jesus on the cross, you people with your wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory, but God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. And unless you repent, you're going to hell. And then 3,000 people are born again and brought into the church. And then a couple chapters later, they arrest Peter and they throw him in prison. And he comes out not crying, not moping, not whining, not taking a selfie of himself in jail. <laughs> Hashtag injustice, no. He comes out saying, I'm so glad I got to suffer for the name above all names. That marks me as his own. And then they threw him in jail. They were gonna, they were gonna, they were gonna cut off his head the next morning. The Bible says he was sleeping. Sound asleep, as a sleep of the just. They talk about sleep of the just. No, no, it's the sleep of the Holy Ghost. That when everything around you is rocking and shaking, you can sleep well because you know that God is not just for you, God is not just with you, God is in you. Amen. Get your confidence back. How do I get my confidence back? Well, let's take a look at the author of this psalm, David. David was the son of Jesse. There was a prophet named Samuel who had appointed uh, a king named Saul, and Saul was the first king of Israel. He was head and shoulders, the Bible says, taller than everybody around him. He had the look of a king. He had the, the presentation of a king. He looked uh, like a leader, and the people cried out for one. Give us a king like all the other nations. That was what they asked for. Give us a king like all the other nations. So God says, oh, you want a king like them? Here you go. Here's Saul. And Saul wins one military victory, and then everything about his ki kingdom becomes about Saul. Not about God, not about the people, but about Saul. Makes a monument to himself. He starts to enslave the people, mistreat the people. He's threatened by everybody around him. He is the epitome of bad leadership. And God says to Samuel, I've rejected Saul. I've rejected his kingdom. He will not reign before me. And so I've raised up, I've found someone. I need you to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and appoint him. He's a man after my own heart. Samuel saddles his donkey, rides into Bethlehem. Everybody's shaking. The whole city is stirred because when God's prophet comes to town, it could either be very good for you or it could be very bad for you. 
And so Samuel comes riding in. He comes to Jesse's house. He says, uh, the Lord says that one of your sons is going to be king. And Jesse's all excited. He's like, oh, really? And he brings before him Eliab, his oldest. He says, this guy's tall. He's strong. He works out three times a week. He does uh, the cardio stuff. You know, he's on the elliptical. He's an amazing young man, talented, 4.0, 1,600 on the SATs. This has got to be the guy. And God looks at him and says, nope, not the one. Stop looking at the outside. I'm looking at the inside. And then the next son comes along. He says, surely it's the second born son. Nope. Third born son. Nope. Four, fifth, sixth. Goes through seven sons. Jesse's, Samuel's like, um, well, this is awkward. We've been through all seven sons. Do you got another one somewhere hiding in a closet? He goes, well, we left him out with the sheep. Hey, even David's father didn't believe David had what it took. We left that one out with the sheep. Samuel says, go get him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. They go get David. David comes in, handsome, Rudy. That's the, that's the first thing we hear about him. And the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He's the one. And, God, and, and, and Samuel pours the oil over David's body. And in the presence of his brothers whom the Lord rejected, David was anointed. So then the next uh, chapter, chapter 17, and David brings cheese and bread out to the military, to his brothers. He's a delivery boy. He's doing Uber Eats bringing the cheese and bread out to his brothers in the, in the military campaign. His father doesn't even send him into the, into the military. Doesn't even put him in the military. Doesn't believe him. Gets to his brothers with the Uber Eats delivery, and the brother's like, what are you doing here? You're just a troublemaker. Hey, his brother does not believe in him. His father didn't think he had what it took. His brother didn't think he had what it took. And then he hears about what's going on with this guy, Goliath. And he says, how dare this man, this uncircumcised Philistine, how dare he taunt the armies of the living God? I'll go fight him. And he was like, no, you can't. No, you can't. What are you talking? Shut up. He goes, no, I will. And because nobody else uh, volunteered, David got the job. And he comes and he stands before King Saul. And King Saul says, you can't fight this man. He's been fighting from a youth and you're a boy. Hey, his father didn't believe in David. His brothers didn't believe in David. And his king didn't believe in David. And the Lord still sent him out to that battlefield. Saul says, well, here, take my armor. David's like, nope, I got my sling and my stones. Goes out to the Valley of Allah. He sees that wicked Philistine, Goliath, taunting the armies of the living God. And, so, and, and Goliath looks at David, the adversary that the Israelites had raised up, this one-on-one -on -one battle. We'll serve you if we lose. You serve us if you lose. And David, little baby David, and, and big tall Goliath, Mano, mano, mano. And, 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 and Goliath says, what am I? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? His father didn't believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. His king didn't believe in him. And his enemy definitely didn't believe in him. And Saul, Goliath raises up his sword and his spear and looks at David and menaces and probably growls. And David makes one of the most profound statements of all the Bible. You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and this day he shall give your flesh to me, and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and all the world might know that there is a God in Israel. And David runs into the valley and slings one stone and knocks that giant out and takes up his sword and cuts off his head, and suddenly all the military members of Israel 
Israel come out of their caves with boldness and courage, and they got their courage not from themselves, but from their David who beat their Goliath. And ladies and gentlemen, David's story is not pointing to your story. It's pointing to Jesus' story. Our Jesus, the true son of David, took out the devil with his own weapon of death at the cross 2,000 years ago, came out of that grave so that you could come out of fear and be courageous and confident. And if you want to get your confidence back, trust not in yourself, but in the God who saves you and brings you to himself. Amen. Three points and then two sub points into point three and then we're done. <laughs> Getting my confidence back, one, number one, write it down. Identify my sheepishness. I gotta identify my sheepishness. The Bible calls us sheep on a regular basis. In fact, the psalmist indicates from the very first passage of this chapter of this psalm that we're sheep because it says, the Lord is my what? Implication, you are? Turn to your neighbor and say, bah. Yeah, 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 you're a sheep. Psalm 100, other passages of the Bible talk about this. Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, we are his, we are his people, and the what? Bah. We are the sheep of his pasture. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about sheep, and we need a shepherd, and we need somebody to watch over us. The fact that you are a sheep means you need someone to be your shepherd. You're going to either have the world and its leaders be your shepherds, or you're going to have the shepherd of your soul be your shepherd. And my job in this message series is very simple. I want you to put your trust in the good shepherd. And I want you to identify the evil shepherds that are abounding in this world. One thing about sheep that Philip Keller talks about, very first thing actually he talks about in, in this book about sheep, is that they are above all other animals in God's kingdom, the most timid, skittish, scared beings on the planet. Sheep are naturally fearful. They freak out a little this thing. In fact, there's a quote I want to put up on the screen here from his book. It says this, quote, it is not generally known. The sheep are so timid and easily panicked that even a stray jackrabbit suddenly bounding out from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. When one startled sheep runs in fright, a dozen others will bolt with it in blind fear, not waiting to see what frightened them. A jackrabbit, a little bit of jackrabbit, can send a whole flock of sheep running. I don't know if it was the Delta jackrabbit or the Omicron jackrabbit. <laughs> Maybe it's a Republican jackrabbit, a Democratic jackrabbit. I don't know. Sent the whole flock running. This is where we are. This is our world. This is our life right now. And I think we've got to talk about it. We've got to get some clarity here over the last two years. And in fact, I want you to write it down so that you make sure you remember it. The last two years did not produce fear. They only revealed our propensity to fear. A virus with a 99.7% success rate, survival rate, has caused the whole world to freak out for two years. And let me just give you, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, there will be another variant. There will be another booster. There will be another drug company promising you to solve all your problems. And it seems to me that we are in this hideous, vicious cycle in our country right now where we elect and empower and pay the highest the person who's there to scare us the most. Gone are the days of FDR. 
who said, the only thing we have to fear now it seems like our leaders are more obsessed with scaring us than anything else. Get your mask on, socially distant, and all the stories are coming out. All the stories are coming out about how it was made up. Just ripped it off the top of their heads. Where the six foot distance come from? The guy literally said, we just thought it up. <laughs> literally said, look it up. Like I, if anything I say offends you, it's because you're not looking the stuff up yourself. I got good news for you. I'm obsessed with this stuff. I look it up all the time. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm seeing how God has started to expose the evil of the shepherds in our culture and in our country. He's exposing them. If you don't have eyes to see this, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Here's what God says. He's against the bad shepherd. God is against the bad shepherds. And you say, Pastor, you're getting into politics. Yes, I am, because politics have everything to do with you. And I will never tell you who to vote for. That's not what I do. But I will expose the liars who are over you. And so here's the deal. God, in his word, often relates, listen to this very carefully, he often relates political leaders, kings, those in authority, to shepherds. In fact, he says about Cyrus, the pagan king of Persia. He says about Cyrus, Cyrus is my shepherd. So when you see a political leader, you are seeing God's shepherd that he has put over his sheep in a civil order to, to guard people from killing each other. Romans 13, that the, the government has the sword so that we don't kill each other and lawlessness doesn't abound. But it seems like in every generation, there comes a point in every cycle of nations, there comes a point where the shepherds no longer care for the people, they only care for themselves. And this has happened before. There was a shepherd who was over Israel. His name was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh became self-absorbed and enslaved God's people. And God put Pharaoh's son to death and rescued his people because he didn't want his shepherd, that evil shepherd, to destroy his people. And it also happened to Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar was obsessed with himself and made a statue of himself and wanted everybody to bow down to himself. Isn't it funny how nothing changes? Bow down at the altar of the politician of our preference. Bow down at the altar of governmental power. Bow down, and if you don't bow down, we're gonna ostracize you, we're gonna demonize you, we're gonna take away your rights. And it seems like we're right back there in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And God, God put a spirit of disturbance in Nebuchadnezzar, and he acted like an animal and lived in the wild and ate grass and dirt for four years and came to his senses and realized that there's only one God over the universe, and it's not him, it's the God who made us and formed us. And it seems like we are in a series, right? We are in a cycle right now where the Lord is exposing the shepherds who are fearing you and, and, and scaring you so that you can come to the good shepherd who loves you and dies for you and reigns in heaven for you and one day is coming back for you. And I am fired up about this. You got a double whammy coming at you today because I had three weeks of rest <laughs> and I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I am angry at what's going on in the leadership structure of our country and the world. Pushing us, pitting us against each other. Fabricating statistics and research so that you live in constant fear. The stupidest event happened to me just yesterday about all this stuff. I, I have gone through this for two years. I've always had my doubts and questions. Yesterday sealed the deal. I go to the YMCA. Over here, up here in North Attleboro. Go to the YMCA, walk in, maskless. 
They say, you gotta have a mask on. I'm like, okay, all right, fine, whatever. I got no problem if a business wants you to wear a mask. I got no problem, I'll wear the mask in the business, no problem. So I put the mask on. As I'm putting the mask on, the lady at the counter says, oh, by the way, just wanna let you know, when you go up to the workout area, you can take your mask off. Uh, so I'm like tempted to say, so COVID is here, <laughs> not there. You know, not here where I'm just walking past you, but up there where I'm literally gonna be sweating on other people, I can take my mask off. It's amazing, this virus is brilliant. I'm in, the, I'm in the airports all the time. I gotta wear my mask with the airports. I literally walk past people in the airport terminal who are sitting at a counter eating food with no mask. How does their no mask food eating stop them from me spreading the evil virus? This is insanity. This is, this is bad shepherding. And if you're scared about the virus, let me just tell you something. I don't blame you. I blame your leaders. And God is going to hold them to account. Read the Bible, my friend. Read the Bible and understand how often God took corrupt government officials out of power because they made it all about themselves. He says it about his own people, Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 10, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. He's talking not about guys watching over sheep in the fields. He's talking about leaders. He's talking about government officials. He's talking about pastors and spiritual leaders of Israel. And he says, I'm against you. I'm going to require my sheep at your hand, and I'm going to put a stop to your feeding the sheep. And he says this, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. All these backdoor dealings of who's becoming billionaires right now. At your expense, scare you, and at the same time offer the solution for you. It's a nice cycle. My word, I wish, I wonder where they got it from. That, that sounds a lot like a lot of false preachers. Yeah. Oh, I got slept on this pillow last night, and if you send me $25.95, you can have a sleep under it, and you'll get all your dreams to come true. <laughs> and this is nothing new. Prosperity preachers have been pumping this stuff into our spirits for years. The government picked up the whiff, and they're doing it now for you. And you've got to understand that God has an account coming for leaders. He says, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. Oh, I love that. I love that. Why? Because the mouths are where their lies pour from. You don't hear the lies from their hands. You hear the lies from their mouths. And I love this promise. I'm going to rescue my sheep. I'm going to rescue who? My sheep, Jesus said. My sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The promise for you today, the good news for you today, is that your governmental leaders might be corrupt. They might be in the tank with corporations and big tech. They might be in the tank with big pharma, but I got good news for you, that if you belong to Jesus, he's got his eyes on you. He's got his hand on you. He's not gonna let you get swallowed up. He's not gonna let you be deceived. He's gonna bring you out. And God holds leaders to a higher level of account. That's why James chapter three says, don't you, many of you, try to be teachers because teaching people will be held to a stricter judgment. I always get nervous and say, people say, I wanna be a pastor. Are you ready for a stricter judgment? You understand there's a judgment for you and there's a judgment for me. And God is gonna hold me accountable, not just for how I live my life, raise my family and marry my wife, He's gonna hold me accountable for every word I've said to you. I want you to hear me, because some of you I can see you're not clapping and you look a little bit disturbed. <laughs> I'll, t 
take this very seriously. And I pray every day, Lord, don't let me say a single thing you don't want me to say to your people. Because it's about your spiritual health. And I'm responsible to him. On the flip side is my fear in life is to say something he doesn't want me to say. That inherently means that I must not fear what you think I should say. You getting these dots connected? Because this is important. Let me bear down here. In fact, in other words, I need to be far more concerned with what God thinks comes out of my mouth than what you think comes out of my mouth. So if I say something and you're like, I don't like that, just know it might be exactly what your shepherd wants you to hear. Scared, everybody's scared, everybody worried. Oh, pastor, I can't believe you said that thing that I don't like. I'm leaving the church. Leaving the church over some of the pastors. You know, I've always, I've always said this illustration and I wanna share it because it, it's a good illustration and I think I should say it every year. But I wanna be on the streets of gold when two Christians in the afterlife come to meet each other. One Christian from soft, cushy, cushiony America who got offended because the preacher said something and left the church. Who oh, was offended. Doesn't go to church for 10 years. Oh, I was offended. But he makes it to heaven because we're saved by grace, not by works. And he's gonna be strolling down the street of gold in heaven one day. And he's gonna have an interaction with a Christian from a Muslim country who watched his parents get beheaded and his children taken away from him and was thrown into prison because he refused to renounce Jesus. And one day that Muslim nation Christian is gonna run into soft, cushy American, I'm offended Christian. And they're gonna, and I wanna be there. I wanna be there at the conversation because I wanna watch the Muslim Christian say, yeah, they killed my kids, they killed my family, they put me in prison and I died there and I came to be with Jesus because I wouldn't renounce him. What happened to you? And the American Christian is gonna say, I was offended. Oh, I want to be there. I want to be there. Let me just tell you something. It's time for the American church to do some research about what happens to Christians outside of this country. What's going on in Pakistan? What's going on in Nigeria? What's going on in North Korea? They're imprisoning them. They're shutting them up. They're taking away their property and their rights. And it's happened before. Read yourself Hebrews chapter 11. They took away their rights. They took away their property. And what did they say? It says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. What good is this book if all of it does is produce a bunch of timid sheep? What good are the stories of David and Gideon and Samuel and Jephthah? What good are the stories if we don't get confidence from them that our God is for us, who can be against us, that he has us in the palm of his hand and no man shall pluck us out, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper and every tongue that rises up against me I shall condemn. I mean, a set at some point, we gotta take this word seriously. Way more seriously than the news and the experts. I hate that word, experts. I never hated it until now. You know, I don't swear, but what I do is I take normal words and I make them my swears. I consider experts a four-letter word now. 
I do. So I stub my toe. I'm like, expert. Somebody says something I don't care about. I'm like, I don't give an expert. Watched the game last night. I was like, the Patriots are playing like a bunch of experts. <laughs> I'm so tired of what the experts say. <laughs> oh, I got to get back to the text. <laughs> there was a study done. It's a study that's done every year. The greatest fears that Americans face. An astounding 80% of Americans say this is their top fear. 80% of Americans say this is their top fear. And this is for the sixth year in a row they've said that this is their top fear. Corrupt government officials. That spans the last year of the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and the first year of the Biden administration. So it's not a left-right issue. It's a corruption issue. Understand me. Secondly, on the second of the list was fear of someone you love dying. And it was 20 percentage points lower than corrupt government officials. The scripture says in Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. You might be under the political shepherds of this country, but the good news is you actually belong to another pasture. Amen. And he's going to tend you. He's going to gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with what? With young. Let moms listen. Moms, future moms, listen, because I know that my preaching sometimes rubs you the wrong way. Your shepherd will gently lead you, and your children are in his care. Stop freaking out about every single thing they tell you. Stop going to WebMD.com every time your kid has a sniffle. I was, I, you know that if modern medicine did not exist, I'd be dead. It really, I, I would be dead. I was a severe asthmatic as a child, super severe, and I had a double whammy of a severe allergic to bees. Every time I got stung by a bee, my entire uh, throat would close up. I couldn't breathe. I'd get hives all over my body, and I had asthma on the same. I had an EpiPen, and I had to use it on a regular basis to shove into my thigh to make sure that I wouldn't die whenever I had an asthma attack. That was my life growing up. Today's generation, kids today, if the kid feels wounded in his emotions. The entire nation has to change. <laughs> if a kid feels offended, the parents call the teachers, complain about the coaches, talk about what's wrong with the pastor or the leaders of the church. We gotta learn to let our kids stumble and fall and break a few bones and realize that it's not the end of the world. And know that God might bring you through some shadows, some valleys, some death moments. But God is still watching over you. Got to get our courage back. Jesus said he fulfilled, John, he fulfilled Ezekiel 34's promise that the Lord would rescue us from the bad shepherd's mouth. And Jesus said it in John chapter 10. It's a fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What kind of leader do you want? You want a leader that does not use you to inflate himself. You want a leader that lays down his life for you. Who is that leader? Jesus. By the way, I just want to let you know, I'm his under-shepherd. But really, I don't even like the word under-shepherd. I know that's the word for pastor in the New Testament, but really what I am, I'm here just to point you to the shepherd. When you see me preach, just look through me to Jesus. I'm more like a sheep dog. <laughs> oh. 
Sometimes the, bar- Sometimes the dog's got to bark. Amen? All right, let me keep barking. Number two, embrace God's shepherding. So you're the sheep, but he's the shepherd. And the word, the word shepherd in Psalm 23.1 is not a noun. It's not a noun. This is important. Textual uh, grammar matters. So when it says in, in verse one of, chapter, of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, the literal Hebrew word says, the Lord is shepherding me. What I'm trying to tell you is that he is not just some idea of shepherd. He is literally right now involved in shepherding you. He is actively shepherding you now. This is where the conflict happens between our experience and what God says in his word. Because you want God to lead you one way, and he has a funny way of being God and not asking for your permission where he wants to lead you. See, that's kind of what makes him God. He's in charge. He's ruling and has authority. And, and so, so you have to understand that the Lord is shepherding you sometimes into relationships that you don't want, into jobs that you'd not prefer, into societies and cultures and neighborhoods that you wish you could get out of. Sometimes God brings you through a season and a trial and a challenge that you wish would just leave you immediately, but the Lord is still actively involved in bringing you to it and through it for his glory and your good. Now that word, the Lord, circle that in your notes. The Lord is one word in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. It's the word to be. In Hebrew, when Moses shows up at the burning bush and God says, go rescue my sheep from that bad shepherd, Pharaoh, that Moses has a couple of questions. <laughs> and the first question is, well, what, what's your name? And I'm so glad that God didn't say Charlie. He says, I am. The word is Yahweh in Hebrew. Yahweh is the covenantal name of the Lord. Whenever you see in your English Bible, L-O-R-D, capitalized, it is the word Yahweh. It's a significant word because it refers to his character. And the only phrase that lives up to the character of God because he is beyond our understanding is the word to be. In other words, he is the self-existing one. And because he is the self-existing one, listen to me very carefully, he needs nothing. He never starts started. He never, he never began. I love the fact that God is not trying to get better as God. He needs no improvement because you cannot improve upon perfection. He has no beginning. He has no end. When Ezekiel talks about God in the first chapter of Ezekiel, he says it's like a circle in a circle. Now, isn't that interesting? What's a circle? A circle is something without a beginning and without an end. And if you look at the universe and the solar system and even your life, everything that God breathed into existence is made up of a circle. The planets are circles. The suns are circles. The stars are circles. The solar system is a circle. And the circles circle around the circle. And even in your body, there are eyes that are circles. And your molecules are circles. And the molecules are made up of atoms that are circles. And everything about the world points to the fact that God is limitless and endless and is the beginning and the end and the first and the last. And you can trust him no matter what you go through. This is the beauty of who he is. The Lord, the confident one, the self-sufficient one, is my shepherd. Because the American Psychological Association came out with a study on what gets us through anxious times better than anything. And the number one thing that they came up with was not a drug. 
The number one thing they came up with is just you need to be in the presence of someone who's calm and confident. This is why we tell you to get in small groups. Some of you are so resistant to this idea. You gotta get in small groups, you gotta get to know another Christian, face them, know them, have relationships with other Christians. Some of you, your closest friends are all pagans and then you wonder why your faith stinks. You gotta get into relationships with Christians so that when you're anxious, you can call a Christian who's confident in Jesus. I can't tell you how often I'm in conversation with our location pastors and I speak to them about my anxieties and they will have a word that just softens that anxiety immediately. Again and again and again, because they are calm and confident when I'm anxious and I'm calm and confident when they're anxious and we can borrow each other's calm and confidence when we are going through some, some valleys of the shadow of death. Psalmist says, "You from everlasting to everlasting, you are God and through God, the church is everlasting, helpful and beneficial. By the way, Philip Keller writes about this in his book, which you gotta get. The first thing that a shepherd did was mark the ear of the sheep to make them his own. Mark the ear. So Psalm 40, verse six says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. There's a twofold reference here to shepherds who marked the ears of their sheep so they could identify whose was theirs. Mind you, getting your ear marked was painful. I'll never forget when I got my, daughter ear, my, my daughter's ears pierced and uh, went to the mall and she pierced one and then she freaked out so much she couldn't do the second one. Um, anyway, the, the, it's painful sometimes to have God get, your, get a hold of your ear. Some, some, of you had to, some of you had to go through some stuff before you started listening. Amen, somebody. Some of you gotta give some grace to some Christians who are so into the word it bugs you. Why you always gotta say a verse? Why can't you say something else? Why you always gotta talk about Jesus? Why you gotta be so excited? Because you don't know what hell that the Lord Jesus brought them from to get their attention. Have some grace for them. Now what's happening in our world right now is the leaders are trying to get your ear marked. And their mouths are profuse with lies and they are causing you anxiety. You need to let the Lord pierce your ear. We all talk about this idea, this mark that's coming upon the world. Mark of the beast, Revelation chapter 13. It says about Revelation chapter 13, the mark of the beast says that if you didn't have the mark, you couldn't buy or sell. Hear me very clearly, because I don't want this to become a meme. I don't believe that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. But it is definitely paving the way. Up in Canada, they're starting to start talking about restricting people's ability to buy and sell, raising the prices, taxing them more. Health insurance premiums should go up for the unvaccinated. They're setting us against each other so that we'll hate our neighbor. Because they know, the devil knows, who runs the governments of this world knows that if he can get us distracted and divided, he can destroy us. We need to hold tighter than ever before to stand strong in the faith and the truth of God's word and fight for each other, not with each other. Amen. Amen. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. It is the job of a pastor to tell you what Jesus said because this is what Jesus' promises. My sheep know my voice. They will never follow a stranger because they're mine. Once I mark them, they're marked for life. Hallelujah. That's why when people leave my church because they get so mad at me about something I said that Jesus said, I don't give a rip. Pastor, I'm offended with what you said. Okay, here's the email. Please send your email to Pastor Tim at idontgiverip.com. Amen. 
I'm here to tell you what Jesus said, not what the world says, because you're gonna follow Jesus' voice. Point number three, uh, receive God's providing. This is not on the screen, I'm sorry. That's our oversight. So point number three is receive God's providing. Write that down. Receive, so identify my sheepishness, um, uh, understand God's shepherding, and then number three, receive God's providing. But the question is, as our shepherd, what does he provide? Well, the rest of the psalm tells us that. And we're only gonna get to verse two today. So here's what verse two says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, somebody say makes me. Sometimes God's gonna make you rest. That's letter A. The shepherd makes me rest. Write that down. The reason why is because by nature, sheep, and this is what Philip Keller talks about, sheep are naturally restless, anxious animals. Now I just replaced sheep for people. People are naturally restless, anxious people. Creatures. So anybody in this house who says, you don't understand, pastor, I have anxiety. Yes, I understand. You're supposed to have anxiety. You're a person, you're a human. You don't have to feel bad about that. You don't have to act like you're a second-class citizen because you got anxiety. Welcome to the anxious club. Your anxiety is proof that you need a shepherd who is calm and confident. Don't you understand? All this stuff that we're going through, all these emotional issues, all mental health, oh, anxiety, depression. Don't you see that God's trying to get our attention? Trying to tell us, yes, on your own, you're a big hot mess. Come to me and I will give you rest. You struggle with depression? Surrender your life to Jesus Christ and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. You struggle with anxiety? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, petition, with supplication, and thanksgiving. Make your request known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Man, you gotta understand that the Lord's come to make you rest. Now, Philip Keller talks about four things that a shepherd has to do for sheep to make them lie down because they don't naturally lie down because they're always anxious. Write them down. Freedom from fear. Number two, removal of friction. Number three, removal of flies. And number four, feeding them. They gotta be well fed. A sheep will never lie down unless those four things are met. So the shepherd has to do that for us. Jesus, the good shepherd, has to do that for us. Freedom from fear. Jesus said in John 14, my peace I give to you. What does he mean by my peace? He's talking about the peace that he has with God the Father. He's talking about the fact that he lives in the perfect, uh, the perfect acceptance and approval of God the Father. And he says, that peace that I live in, that God is not mad at me, God is with me, God is for me, and I am in God and he is in me, I am giving that to you. So you gotta internalize the fact that Jesus, if you are in Christ, has covered you with the robes of righteousness, and now he, God the Father, looks upon you and perfectly accepts you and approves of you and welcomes you into his presence. And if you are at peace with God, it doesn't matter who's at odds with you on the outside. Removal of fear, number two. I'm sorry, yeah, freedom from fear. Number two, removal of friction. Now here's a big deal about sheep. And Philip Keller talks about this, that if sheep rub each other, their, their wool gets all hot and then they can't rest because they're all worked up because of the friction. And yeah, I'll tell you, this is, this is good for us right here. Some of you gotta stop rubbing wool with some different sheep. I wanna release the entire church today. You do not have to like 
every Christian that you meet. You don't have to be friends with every Christian that you meet. You don't have to like every small group that you go to. That's why we have that rule. It's called the Michael Jackson rule. The Michael Jackson rule. If you go to a small group at Water Church and you don't like it, you just moonwalk out of that group and then you just shuffle over into the other group and you try a different one. It's the Michael Jackson rule. Until you find some sheep that don't rub you the wrong way. Because you can't rest if you're all frictioned up with someone that you can't stand who you're like, I can't believe not only do I have to hang with them here, but they're going to go to heaven with me. Right? Now here's another way you got to remove the friction. This little sucker. Some of you people watch all day long on Facebook. People watch, people watch, people watch. And instead of living your own life, you're obsessed about everybody else's life. And here's what you do. How many, don't raise your hand because I know it's almost everybody. How many of you lost a night of sleep at some point in your life because you saw a Facebook post from somebody you did not expect? And you wonder, oh, and this is, what you, this is what you do. You look at them who you don't like and you say, I can't believe that this person that I can't stand is enjoying their life. <laughs> and, and then, I know I'm talking to the ladies right now. I know it, right? That's why all of you got daggers at me right now. All right. You got to let it go. Put it away. Delete your account. Go on vacation. Do something. Get yourself around some people that you like so that the friction can get removed. The Bible says, and I'm talking about biblical stuff here. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 17. Somebody got to write this verse down. Proverbs 25, 17 says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and he will hate you. <laughs> some of you have been looking for that verse your entire life. <laughs> Sorry, I can't come over. Proverbs 25, 17. Okay. Too much of one person. You know what I'm talking about? Friction causes stress, causes anxiety. Get away. This is why Jesus said to the disciples, get away from the crowds and come and be with me for a while. Some of you got to get into the habit first thing in the morning. You don't get on Facebook. You don't get on Twitter. You don't get on Instagram. You get on your knees. And you say, Father, I need you today. I'm going to mess up today. I know I'm going to get angry today. I'm going to get anxious today. I know that there are things that are going to happen to me that I didn't expect today, but I thank you that you are the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. You got the whole thing mapped out. All the days before me were planned in your book before one of them came to be. So I submit my life to you today instead of let this life make me what it wants me to become. This is what we got to do. And the most successful people in this church that I know, the most successful people in this church that I know have a morning time with God. Some of you suckers will never do it. And you have God's permission and my permission to freak out all the time. The removal of flies. Removal of flies. Let me ask you this question. What's bugging you? What's bugging you right now? And I guarantee it's something small. You know, most of the stuff that we struggle with, the most of the stuff that we worry about, never happens. Never happens. But we think we can control things by worrying about them. That's really what it is. You're not a worry wart. You're a control freak. You need to let go and let God. You need to relax. How do I do that, Pastor? I know what you say, but how do I do it? The scripture says, forget not one of his blessings. Psalm 100. Forget not one of his blessings. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, who redeems my life from the pit. And it goes on. Forget not any of his blessings. In other words, what you got to do is you got to remember how God has blessed you so that the little things in life don't bug you. 
Because I guarantee you, if you put two things on the scale, the blessings of God against the bugging of life, I guarantee you the blessings of God are heavier than the bugs of life. Here's what I do on a regular basis. On a regular basis. I know not all of you have this privilege, but here's what I do. I say, thank you, God, that my children are all healthy. Now, don't go saying, but what if they don't get healthy? Don't do that. Are they healthy now? Thank you, God, I have a bed to sleep in tonight. Thank you, God, I got more than one pair of pants. Hallelujah. Amen? (laughs) So that the flies, the scripture says that the little foxes spoil the vine. The little things. And then feeding, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd of the bread of life. We talked about that in the last series. Okay, letter B and finally, my shepherd refreshes me. My shepherd makes me rest, and then he gives me water to drink. Psalm 23, verse two, last part of the verse says, he leads me beside, what kind of waters? Still. Now, I don't think Philip Kelly talks about this from my memory, but I read it from someone else. That sheep are so dumb, if they find a rushing brook or a rushing river, they'll, without the shepherd's guidance, they'll stick their entire head into the water and their wool will get all saturated and then they'll weigh themselves right into the water and flow down the river to their own death. That's why the shepherd has to bring you to still waters. And here's the illustration. It's amazing to me about, water's amazing. Here's why it's amazing, because there are waters that can give you life and then there are waters that can kill you. Same molecular structure, different results. That's why you need a shepherd to lead you to the right water. So, uh, we Americans don't get this because we're spoiled rotten with filtration systems and modern plumbing. You can go to any faucet in America and literally any faucet, any spigot, open it up and drink the water and you'd be fine. Get yourself outside this country. In fact, if you go to one of our interest meetings for one of our mission projects to go to Peru or Guatemala, they'll tell you, first thing they tell you, don't drink the water. Even the faucet water, you can't handle it. It's gonna wreck you. So I've been to Guatemala about six times. The last time I went was back in May with my wife and I said, you know, and one of the things that they tell you is you don't even brush with the water. You gotta take your toothbrush, you gotta pour spring water in your toothbrush. I mean, it's a hassle. Spring water, toothbrush, spring water, the toothpaste, spring water to wash off the toothbrush so that you can get any water on your toothbrush. So I was like, uh, you know, Lord, I've been here five times. Surely I've developed some measure of immunity. I won't drink it, but I'm gonna brush with it. Three days later, I had the worst night of my life. I was up all night, in and out of the bathroom, bowing before the porcelain throne. You know what I'm talking about. And, and the worst part was a Saturday night and I had to preach on Sunday morning at the church in Guatemala. And I am dead. I am like bowled over. I can't even put my shoes on barely. Cheryl's like, wow, you look rough. I, I, I am rough. I don't got any strength. I am literally dragging myself to breakfast. Couldn't eat a thing. And I'm li- sitting at the, <laughs> at the dinner table, at the breakfast table. Carlos, high energy Carlos Vargas comes sees me. starts talking my ear off. I'm like, And then Cheryl's like, Carlos, I don't know if he's gonna be able to preach today, he's really sick. Carlos says, he'll be fine, just get him to the church. I'm like, oh, thank you, Carlos, okay. And uh, so there's about a 100 yard walk from the breakfast place to the church, and and I literally, this is what happened, literally what happened. I am crawling to the church. I am like, oh God, you're gonna have to do something. And I prayed a prayer and I said this prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, if that, pr- if that, sir- if that verse, 
I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is true. Please let it be true for me right now. And I crossed the threshold of the church, and this has never happened to me before, and I have prayed many times for healing in my life before, and it's never happened until that day, and I crossed the threshold of the church, and immediately my body suddenly felt at ease, and everything straightened up, and I was completely at peace within, and all the sickness was gone, and not just for the service, but for the rest of the weekend that my wife and I shared in, in Guatemala. I was supernaturally healed in Jesus' name. Never had happened to me before. It was amazing. I, God is my witness. You can ask my wife about it. It happened. Why do I share that story? Because some of you have drunk water you knew was bad. And it's wrecked you. And I got good news for you. Your shepherd can heal you. He can take the poison out. And he can give you good waters. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled and satisfied. There's a woman in the Bible in John chapter 4 who came to the well at 12 noon in the daytime. All the other women of the community came to the well at 8 a.m. When the sun was not hot, she came at 12 noon. Why? Because she didn't want to reveal herself to all those women. Jesus has a conversation with her. Finds out that she's been married five, he knows, but five times divorced, five, five times married, five times divorced. She's shacked up with a guy who's not her husband. She's been drinking the wrong water her whole life. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's giving you, asking, who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, he would have given you living water. And they have a long conversation. She confesses her sins. She confesses them all to Jesus and comes clean. And that lady who was scared to be about and around anybody, the Bible says after one experience with Jesus, she leaves her water pot at the well, runs into town and says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. She goes from hiding to excited to reveal who she is because this good shepherd changed her and healed her and took the poison out of her. And that's what he wants to do for every single one of you. I can't tell you what poisons you've drunk. You know. Maybe you're drinking some right now. But the good shepherd will lead you out and purify your heart, transform you into a brand new person so that you can dwell in safety in the pasture of your shepherd. Concluding thought, the world is struggling with the question, who am I? But the real question is, whose am I? I don't, I don't worry about your identity. I worry about who's marked your ear. Who's pierced your ear? Who's got your attention? Is it this world or is it Jesus?